Welcome those listening online. If you guys would turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 20. As we take a look at the resurrection day, the resurrected king is the title of today's message. I don't normally wear a, a suit um, and a jacket, but being that it is Resurrection Sunday, I want to represent God in the best way possible. And in order, that's kind of why we, we get dressed up on Resurrection Sunday, just to, to celebrate, because it is a celebration. It's a celebration of new life for all who believe in Jesus. This past Friday, we, we just went over Good Friday. And we went over the passion of the Christ and how our King, Jesus Christ, was put on the cross to die for the sins of the world. And it was the, the darkest time in man's history when the world was completely flipped upside down, when the innocent was judged and the guilty were forgiven of sins. We see how much Jesus loved us, that he cast all aside so that he could come, endure the cross for the glory that was set before him, which is us, you and me. We are his treasure. We are his loved ones. So now with Good Friday just passing, his disciples who were following him during his time, during three years of ministry, his disciples who were thinking that Jesus was going to now take the throne in Rome, who were disappointed and confused and lost when they saw their Jesus being crucified. They're in this state of confusion, perhaps of, of hopelessness, of, of wondering what's next now. We left all to follow Jesus and they crucified him. I'm sure it had to be the biggest heartbreak they've ever experienced. And now, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, they didn't understand, they didn't see what Jesus went to go do. So you, Jesus told his disciples, he said, just as Jonah was in the great fish for three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. So why would Jesus go down to the center of the earth after his crucifixion? It was to set the captives free, you see, because before Jesus came, the saints were not able to enter into heaven. They would go down to the place known as Abraham's bosom. It was separate from the place of torment in hell. It was a separate compartment where Abraham was, and they were comforted there, the saints, those who believed in God, Jehovah. And Jesus entered into the valley of the earth and he proclaimed the captives free. And he took them and then they entered now into heaven. And that's the glorious thing about Jesus. He removed our sins so that we can have eternal life with him. But now here on earth, the disciples, in this time, they're scared. They're not understanding what's happening. So it says in John chapter 20, reading out of the New King James Version, beginning with verse 1. Now the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So we have now the first day of the week being Sunday. And Mary Magdalene, who is this woman? Mary Magdalene was seen throughout the Gospels, in quite a few of them. She's listed in the Bible as a woman who had seven demons in her, whom Jesus exercised and healed her and gave her a new life. Her testimony was a woman of complete depravity and complete darkness physically, spiritually, and mentally, emotionally, having been possessed by seven demons. That number for seven, in the Bible, we often see seven referring to a completion. It's symbolic of a complete. And so she is completely possessed by these demons. She would have been cast out by her society. She would have been outlawed not able to to be with her family or anyone. And now that she was in that state of complete depravity, Jesus met her along the way and healed her. And he cast out these demons in her life. And she's known for her holy devotion to the Messiah throughout the Gospels. Sometimes people, they they wonder if this is the woman with the alabaster flask or who anointed Jesus' feet. The Bible's not clear on who did that. But Mary Magdalene is just known as someone who was there, that she was there when Jesus was being crucified. She watched from afar. And again now, she is seen going to the tomb of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because her Lord and Savior, the man who rid her of her dark past, was crucified. And now three days later, three days later, she's still going back to the tomb. She's going because of her devotion to Christ. It says that she went when it was dark. Perhaps there, there was some fear of, of who might see her. Because when she was entering that garden of Gethsemane, when she was entering that that tomb, she would have been expecting these Roman guards to be there, watching the tomb, guarding the tomb. The Pharisees had ordered, they told the leaders of Rome, hey, you need to put a guard over Jesus' tomb just in case his disciples come and try to steal the body of Jesus. So the Roman guards... Historically speaking, they would have been a 16-man unit governing this tomb. And they had very strict rules. You see, each member was responsible for six square feet of space. And they couldn't sit down or lean against anything lest they fall asleep. And if one of them was to fall asleep while on duty, the entire guard would be executed. Not to mention, if what they were guarding got away they too would be executed. So these men had quite a huge reason to be on guard watching this tomb. And what does Mary see when she gets there? 
She doesn't, it doesn't say that she saw the soldiers, but that the tomb was open and the large stone was rolled away. In Israel today, if you get to visit the, the tomb where they believe that Jesus was at, there's two sites. But both of those sites, the hole through it, would have required a very large stone to cover this tomb. It would have been impossible for Mary herself to be able to push this stone over. And when she gets there, the stone is completely gone. This is a miracle. She's probably expecting these huge obstacles to be in her way as she seeks her Jesus. Let me ask you, what are the obstacles that you believe are keeping you from God's plan in your life? How big do they seem? How many of them are there? God is bigger than all of these. You see, when God wants something done in your life, he's able to complete it. Will you have the faith like Mary Magdalene did to run to Jesus despite all the odds? In verse 2, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, he went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. See, notice who Mary, once she realizes, oh my gosh, the guards are gone, the, the stone is rolled away, who she runs to. She runs to Simon Peter and it says, also the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, in John's gospel, you're going to see that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to John. It clearly states it in his gospel. And he wrote the book himself. So he's basically saying, I was loved the most by Jesus. It's kind of funny. And it's cool to see how God uses these men with different personalities, different traits, different ideas to write his gospels. And yet, the Gospels all connect perfectly. So John, notice he also writes that Mary came to them. Mary wants to seek out those who were close to Jesus. And he says at that point, once they hear, wait, the guards are gone and the tomb is run away, they go take off running. And John loves to mention in verse 4 that he outran Peter. It says that Peter came and the other guy got there first. John probably is a little slant to, to Peter in there a little bit. And now as they approach the tomb, I'm sure in Peter's mind, as they're both running to this tomb, his heart had to be racing. Why? Because Peter, just less than about three days ago, was denying his Lord Jesus. Jesus warned Peter as they were having the Last Supper. He said, Peter, Satan has asked for you by name that he might sift you as wheat. And Peter said, Lord, no, far be it from me. I would die for you. And Jesus warned him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times 
before the rooster crows this night. And then when Jesus was arrested and all the disciples fled, Peter, he followed Jesus from a distance. And when they took Jesus to have the illegal trial against him, Peter waited outside by the fire of the enemy. And there people started to recognize him. A little girl even was like, I I recognize you. You are one of Jesus' disciples. And with cursing, he said, I do not know the man. Three times, I do not know him. I don't know him. And then the rooster crowed, and the greatest sorrow ever fell on a man, that he weeped like no man has ever wept, because he realized he denied the Lord, his Lord Jesus. He betrayed him. So with that in mind, Peter at some point came back to John, the other disciple. Perhaps John had been trying to comfort Peter. And Peter now, hearing this news that someone possibly took the body of Christ, or that something even just happened to the body of Christ, races back to the tomb, his heart pounding probably as he's trying to get there, trying to keep up with John, and his mind racing, maybe even thinking about how he denied him. I do not know the man. I do not know the man. I do not know the man. Just hoping that he can have another shot. It says that John got to the tomb first, and then in verse 5, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, Yet he did not go in. You see, John, as he approached this tomb now, he would have saw the cloths of Jesus folded neatly and placed in the tomb. And John would have figured that something had to have happened to the body of Jesus for his linen cloths to be removed. You see, if it was a thief trying to steal the body of Jesus, Removing the linen cloths would have been the last thing that that thief would have wanted to do because it would have exposed the flesh of Jesus. And that would have been a terrible way to transport the body. So the confusion now in John's head is why would somebody take off Jesus' linen cloths? And why would they take the time to fold it neatly and leave it there in the tomb? Perhaps at this point, Hope may have begun to enter John and Peter's heart. In verse 6, Then Simon Peter came and following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a safe place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. You see, now Peter took a step further than John did. You see, John just went up to the tomb and saw the the linen cloths lying there, and it stopped him in his tracks. But Peter actually entered into the tomb. And it says now when they saw this, when they saw the, the cloths folded together neatly, that they saw and he believed. 
You see, it is sometimes after our greatest mistakes where God gives us the most grace. For God had moved in Peter's heart in such a way to give him faith now in his Lord Jesus Christ, not only as the Messiah, the man, but as a resurrected king. Do we have that in our lives? Do you realize that God is desiring to pour his love out upon you? It doesn't matter how deep of darkness you're into. It doesn't matter what background you're from. God wants to have a personal, loving relationship with you every day. And he desires us to just be with him day by day. And we do this when we read our Bible. We do this when we pray, when we fellowship and talk about God with other people. Christ abides in us. It says now in verse 9, For as they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. You see, they were ignorant. They were ignorant to the promises of Jesus' death and resurrection in the Bible. You see, the entirety of the Old Testament, which is what the the disciples would have studied the Old Testament, it continually points to the Messiah. It's called the Old Testament because it's based on the Old Covenant, meaning the Old Promise. The promise for what? The promise for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come. Now, in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 9, it tells them, if they would have read this, they would have known a couple things about Jesus concerning his death and resurrection. You don't need to turn there, but in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. You see, this is proclaiming Jesus' victory, which the disciples saw as he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And maybe that's all they read. Maybe they didn't read enough of the Old Testament. Maybe they should have read Isaiah verse 53. Or Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6 says this. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You see, this prophecy in Isaiah is referring to Jesus being crucified on the cross. And when the disciples began to hear of Jesus telling them, look, my hour is at hand where I'm going to be killed, where I'm going to be crucified, 
They were like, no, far be it from you, Lord. And he would have to rebuke his disciples. He would even say, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And they didn't understand. You see, this is why it's important that we read our Bibles because it builds our faith. It builds our understanding. How can we worship God fully and completely when we don't know him personally? It's a relationship. How can you have a relationship with somebody who you don't even know? Jesus offers us this today. Continuing in John chapter 20, with verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept and stooped down and looked into the tomb. You see, the disciples had left to go back to their homes, but Mary, in her devotion, she stayed there still longing for her loved one. See, the loss of a person whom you love is one of the hardest things to go through. You know, recently, two of my my good friends have, have lost their grandparents in this season, in this time, when we're dealing with a virus outside. And it's tragic that we cannot gather as a group for a funeral or even a wedding and we, we can't get together and, and celebrate life or mourn with one another. But Jesus offers hope. And that's what Mary Magdalene was looking for. She was looking for hope. She was looking for all the wrongs to be made right. And that's what Jesus is offering because he promises that one day he's going to get rid of evil. He's going to get rid of sorrow and of pain forever and ever. And he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be with him fully and completely. And our loved ones, those who believe in Christ, will be there. We will be worshiping Jesus together in heaven for eternity. You know, sometimes people think, well, won't that get kind of boring? No, it it won't, and here's why. Because since God is infinite, and we are finite, in heaven we will still continue to learn more and more from him forever. Because he never ends. In verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary here is emotionally wrecked, and now seeing these two men in white appear out of nowhere, she probably was in such a distressed that she didn't even think, wait, where did these men come from? She probably thought that she had missed their entrance into the tomb. In verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus 
standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now the amount in of confusion in Mary's mind is probably appropriate because all of a sudden these two men in white appear out of nowhere and all of a sudden when she turns around and, and, and sees Jesus and it says that he looked as if he was the gardener she thought he was the gardener which probably meant that he wasn't arrayed in white but in a gardener's attire with maybe some different colors than that and she, she's now approaching him and he calls her woman. You see, in, in Old Testament times, when they called each other uh, a woman, it, it was an enduring term. It wasn't how, how people use it nowadays, of, of woman. No, this is an, an enduring and a loving term, Jesus' use of it. She begins now to petition the Lord without even realizing that it's God standing in front of her. Perhaps you've been praying God, just allow me to fix this issue here. Just remove the trial, not realizing that your Savior, Jesus Christ, is before you himself. He is the answer. See, she's looking to who she thinks is the gardener to help her solve this problem of hopelessness, and it's Jesus who is the answer the entire time. See, in our lives, we can't look to outside things. We can't look to man. We can't look to our job, our finances, our plans, our successes for hope. We look to Christ alone because Christ never fails. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things. Jesus, he allows her eyes to be opened when he calls her Mary, and she realizes, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected, standing right in front of me. And it says that she, he had to tell her, don't cling to me, which meant that she was holding on to him so tightly. Perhaps thinking, I, I don't want to lose you again. May we have that heart in our lives, that we cling to Christ so tightly that the thought of losing him, of us walking away from him, would be so far from us. This woman who had been forgiven of so much, who had been let free from those seven demons, she is now commissioned. Notice, she doesn't allow herself to keep this gospel message to herself, but she went as Jesus commanded her. He says, go to my brethren. You see, 
he wanted to tell her, don't cling to me. Not because he, he didn't care for her, but he's telling her, look, there's still work to be done. We still have work to do, and that's how it is in our life. Where yes, Jesus has resurrected and saved us, but God still has a plan for our lives today. He still has a work to do through us. So we must be obedient, just as Mary is. In verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So now the disciples, in fear of death outside of the door, they're there assembled, afraid, afraid of, of the Roman soldiers, afraid of the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, their, their soldiers, who might be looking for them. And Jesus stands in the midst of them now, and he tells them, peace be with you. He had to tell them, peace be with you, because they were probably scared out of their minds. And God said, peace. Shalom is the word. It's the common greeting in Israel, even today. And as I see the disciples assembled there in the room in fear, it reminds me of what's happening in our world today, where we are assembled together for fear of death outside of our door with this virus. You see, what's also interesting at this time, you see, Passover for the Jewish people started this past Wednesday night. And it's going to continue on to our Thursday. It lasts for a week. Now, the interesting thing about Passover is that they were doing the same thing here in Jesus' time where they were all assembled inside. They met together for the Passover themselves. But the original Passover, they were doing the exact same thing. In the original Passover, the reason why we celebrate Passover, the first one they ever had, all the Israelites gathered together in their houses in Egypt because God was going to send the angel of death upon Egypt. And God ordered Moses, he said, tell your people to sacrifice a lamb and to put its blood on, its door, on their doorstep, on the top, on the sides. And when the angel of death would come upon that household and see the blood of the lamb on the doorstep, the angel of death would pass over. That was the original Passover. And the disciples there again were gathered. And we are gathered with our families now, rather than being out in the public. And for those of us who have the blood of the Lamb on our hearts, on our doorsteps, we know that Jesus is in our midst. We know that the Holy Spirit is here with us now. That the same God that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave is living inside of us, each and every one of us. He empowers us. And we can rejoice that he has an awesome adventure of life waiting for those who are filled for, with his spirit.
in verse 20. Now, when he had said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is something so awesome and amazing. First notice how he had to show them his hands, which still had the scars on on them. His side. I've heard it said before that it's possible that the only thing in heaven that's going to be man-made are going to be the scars in Jesus' hands and on his feet and in his side. When he appeared to the two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus and they didn't even realize it was him, he had given them that, that spiritual blindness so that he can talk with them for a bit. And then they asked him, come eat with us as he expounded on the scriptures to them, revealing to them how the Christ biblically was to have suffered. And then when he went to have that communion with them, when they broke bread, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus there sitting with them. And then in that moment he vanished and they said, whoa, didn't it burn in our hearts when he revealed the scriptures to us? And I've heard many commentators say that it's possible that they realized it was Jesus as they saw him breaking the bread because they would have saw the scars on his hands put there for you and me. Now, as he's there, again telling them, peace be to you, that God the Father had sent them, it says that he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So now they are receiving the Holy Spirit. And notice this. At this time, his disciples were already saved before this time. His disciples were saved when they left their nets and began to follow Jesus. They were already saved. But now, they are receiving the Holy Spirit. So the receiving of the Holy Spirit is separate from salvation. The Holy Spirit, we believe, comes into a believer's life when they accept the Lord Jesus Christ now. But there is also the upon experience, where when that, and it's also separate from salvation, where the Holy Spirit empowers you so much that it begins to flow out of you and onto others. This is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 23, Jesus gives a warning. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So here's a lesson now on, on forgiveness. If you have bitterness in your heart against someone, if that's keeping you from the Lord or keeping you from that awesome relationship with Christ, be set free and forgive. You could, I could teach a whole Bible study on, on forgiveness So if that's you right now, hearing that and you need to let go of that bitterness, let it go. 
let Jesus take that bitterness and allow you to even allow Christ to forgive you so that you can forgive yourself. In verse 24, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to them, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Ah, we see here, they call it Doubting Thomas. I like to call him Skeptical Thomas. Skeptical that God and Jesus are real. Maybe we're skeptical that God is able to save you. Maybe we're skeptical that God is able to get us through a trial, that he's able to give us peace and hope and a new life of hunger for him. See, Jesus, he can make a way. You can grow in your faith. You can believe more and more if you'd simply ask and seek and knock and seek out the truth of these answers. One thing I do want to note, there are some people who that believe that Jesus Christ, after he resurrected, he was only resurrected in spirit and that he was a spirit who came before his disciples, appearing in the midst of them. And a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll take people to this portion of scripture right here and I'll see, I'll show them, well, you believe that Jesus is a spirit. How did he get in this room? And they say, well, he walked into the door and I will tell, or he walked through the door. He just appeared there. And I will tell them, well, no, actually, I believe that Jesus crawled in through the window. And they'll be like, what? No, it doesn't say that. Like, well, it doesn't say that he floated through the door. And that's kind of what I want them to see, is I can't make an argument out of silence. And throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus eating fish and other types of things. So Jesus had a bodily resurrection. Now in verse 26, and I, I don't really believe he crawled into the, through the window. I'm just making a point. In verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them, Jesus said, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. For those who believe that Jesus, oh, I went over that. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas here is making a statement of who Jesus was both his Savior and his God. See, Jesus was God, and the Gospel of John constantly shows that Jesus is God himself. He's not just the Messiah, a man, but he is also God himself, part of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, maybe we don't see. Maybe we're not seeing 
Jesus here with us in this moment. I've not myself have, have never seen God. The Bible even teaches that no one could see God and die. If anyone would see God, they would die. But how happy are we when we believe in faith? How happy, Jesus said, are those who believe without seeing Jesus there. Now we know and understand that Jesus lives in us and through us. In Nehemiah 8.10, it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what blessed means. Blessed means how happy. In verse 30, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen and amen. You see, you are his seal. You are his loved one, and he gives you new life. What amazing things has God done in your life? It says there could be written books upon books of them in the Bible. What is he doing in your life today? And what adventures does he have for you awaiting for you? The answer for that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ, our resurrected king. So if you are looking for that life, that freshness, the relief from pain, if you are looking for hope, it is found in Jesus Christ himself. If you're trying to find yourself, Find your identity in Christ. If you're trying to find truth, find truth in Jesus Christ. If you're looking for hope, for a way, for protection, it's all found in Jesus Christ. He loves you and he desires to have a personal relationship with you and he can give you a new life. When I first became saved, I thought that my life was going to be so boring. And I was like, man, now that I'm a Christian, I, I can't do any of the fun stuff I used to do. It was my mentality. And then Jesus began to give me a desire to do things that were good. Where all of a sudden, I, I didn't have as much a hunger for the world anymore, but I had a more of a hunger and a desire to do what he called me to do, where I wanted to do those things. I craved serving the Lord. And God can do that in your life. If God could save a, a crazy drug addict like me, he can do that in your life. He can use you. I want to end with a, a song of worship and, a, and a, if you do not have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to just lead you in a prayer. If you want a new life, free from the bonds of sin, free from hopelessness, Jesus Christ offers that to you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. So if you have that simple faith and that trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected King, and you accept Him as your Lord and your Savior, 
He'll save you from, from hell. And as your Lord, he will guide and direct you. And you get to learn to be obedient and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And just pray this in faith and mean it in your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come before you. I confess to you that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me by your son's blood. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. Give me spiritual gifts, Father, that I might follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If that was you this morning, I want to just uh, invite you, message me, uh, whether it be online or on my phone, and reach out to somebody who you see as a, a Christian who can help point you in that right direction to continue in faith. I'm, I'm going to pray one more time just for uh, the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for your love and grace. I pray that you would continue, Lord God, to use us, to mold us and shape us. I pray, Father, that this Resurrection Sunday, that we would be filled with your joy, that we would share it with other people. May we believe, Lord God, that Jesus Christ is resurrected, and may we live it out. Be with us in a time of trial. Heal those who are sick. I pray for the families listening now. Would you protect them? May you use us, Father, to further your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While he is risen, um, we're going to end with a, a song. I want to play that song, uh, Christ is Risen from the Dead, Trampling Over Death by Death. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the weight of all our sin, you bow to none but heaven's will. No scheme of hell, no coffer's crown, no burden gray can hold me down and strain. You reign forever, let your church. 
proclaim Christ is risen from the dead Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Be blessed this Resurrection Sunday